0: Welcome to Highball Politics, what America's bartenders are hearing. I'm David Kochel. And I'm Rob Stutzman. Each week, David and I are interviewing a bartender in a different U.S. city and state to find out what people there really care about when it comes to politics and culture. Why bartenders? Because bartenders have the pulse of their patrons
1: and therefore the pulse of America, real America.
0: In every episode, we will feature some incredible cocktail recipes, which you can find in the show notes. If you're a bartender, or if you'd like to
1: nominate your favorite bartender to be on our podcast, please email us at highballpolitics at gmail.com.
0: Today, we're talking about the just-completed Republican Iowa Caucus. Kochel and I were both there in Des Moines. Not only do we observe the goings-on, but we practice our craft in a local tavern and had a wonderful conversation with an unexpected guest, Rupert, who we'll get back to here in a moment.
1: Yeah, so today we're going to tell you everything we learned about Rupert, his observations, as well as our own experiences on the ground in Iowa.
0: Hey, David, so you're the Iowa guy. I don't think it's overstating it since I saw this said several times this past week. The king of Iowa... GOP politics at this point in your life. That's so what they say, Rob. That's, that's what they say. That's what they say. Tell us what you observed that was important. Well, actually, do a little more setup. Kind of go through the caucus system again, why it was only Republicans, no Democrats, and then what were your key takeaways from this particular caucus?
1: Well, Joe Biden didn't like the Iowa caucuses as they happened in 2020. And he also didn't like New Hampshire. He lost both states. So they rewired the process on the Democratic side to start in South Carolina where Biden won his first contest. So that's why we only had a Republican caucus in Iowa. So it's a Republican only contest, although people need to know that much like New Hampshire, you could attend a caucus if you're a Democrat or a no party voter, but you needed to register there on site and show proof of residency in that precinct. So if you're an eligible elector in your precinct, regardless of whether you're Registered or not, registered as a Democrat and no party or something else, or a Republican, you could participate. So that's kind of a unique process. All right. Now, caucuses are the first contest. It's the first time delegates are selected. It starts... Iowa first, New Hampshire, then two other carve-out states, South Carolina and Nevada. Any other state then can get into the process, but the RNC protects those four states. So that's why it's important, Rob. It's the first one.
0: Okay, so there wasn't much mystery about who was going to win, and the results pretty much went the way everyone thought, Donald Trump getting over 50%. But what was unique about this one is, I mean, we have to talk about the weather. Aside from the fact for this delicate California boy, that was the coldest freaking temperatures I've ever been exposed to in my life. I'm yeah. glad I've returned home with 10 toes and 10 fingers. The cold was real, and if not dangerous, and we heard some stories of how we think that may have affected participation.
1: Well, one of our friends, Rob, in Plymouth County, their parents could not start the truck because the gas gelled. It was about 14 below zero there. The wind chill was pushing minus 45, so they couldn't go to the Cox, so they couldn't start their car. You know, it's a real thing. A lot of people just went outside and said, no, I'm going to turn around and go right back in. We usually have turnout in the 125 to 150 range. 2016, which is a very exciting process, was 187. I was thinking we'd probably get to about 150, but then when you saw that weather coming in and what it was really going to be, everybody started revising downward. I don't know that the weather actually had a meaningful impact on how the candidates sort of ranked. It seems like the people who decided not to show up kind of came out of everybody's piece of the pie. So I think even if you had a bigger turnout, maybe Trump would have won by a little more. But I don't know that it really changed the outcome of anything. But boy, it was cold. It was really the biggest story, I think, of the caucuses. Because, you know, you had about a thousand credentialed media there. They were all shivering the whole time. I mean, they had to follow candidates around. We had an entire day on Saturday of events two days before the caucus, that were canceled. Nikki Haley canceled everything and started doing teletown halls that day. So quick twitch muscle on these campaigns. They got to adapt really fast. Vivek, this was my favorite story about the weather. Vivek went out, did his first event on Saturday, you know, tore into other candidates. If you're not tough enough to deal with the weather, you're not going to be tough enough to deal with Xi Jinping. What happens? He leaves the event and his car goes into
0: the ditch. <laughs> yeah, met- metaphor alert, <laughs> metaphor alert. <laughs> so that was the big story. So you're a veteran of these. It's been a staple of the American political process. Well, on the Democrat side, really, Jimmy Carter in 76, you know, brought yes. the prominence. Republican yeah. side a little bit later. But right. this is what Americans are used to. But there's also some criticism that there's an outsized significance given to a relatively small state, one of the least diverse states, if not the least diverse state in the country. You know, quickly make the case for the Iowa caucuses and then, you know, tell us how you feel about some of these accusations about maybe why we could find a better process going forward. Well, the criticism
1: you mentioned first from the Democrats is Iowa's not a representative state of the country. It isn't diverse. The strength though, and this is something I'll, you know, I I will always sing the praises of the caucuses. It is such a personal, tactile experience. We're not talking about having a polling place where people can drive to, you know, throughout the day, before you go to work, on your lunch hour, after work, whatever. It's open all day. The polls in a normal Iowa election are open from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. That's 14 hours you can do your political business. A caucus, it's like a mini convention. It is a gathering, people all in one place. They're going to hear from their fellow Iowans. Somebody's going to get elected to be the chair of the caucus. They're going to organize it. Then you're going to hear speeches, sometimes from a candidate if it's a huge precinct, usually from a surrogate or from someone who lives in the neighborhood. It's really nothing like an election. It's a mini convention. And that's so unique an experience. I I would hate to see our politics lose it. I don't think high, high turnout makes for a better process. These people are very committed They've followed this all along. They've watched all the debates. They've probably shown up, just like New Hampshire voters, they've probably shown up at 10 or 15 events. They've seen everybody. It makes for a more discerning audience. You know, the most engaged audience you can imagine comes from the Iowa Coxes, and I think that's something that we don't want to lose. Now, here's a big criticism that I heard even this cycle, and I kind of share this criticism Ron DeSantis spent, I think, 120 or 30 million dollars between
0: him and his Super PAC.
1: right. And yeah. that, he didn't spend all of those dollars inside the state, but that could include private airfare to and from. It could include, you know, paid telephone calls coming in from elsewhere, but 120 or more million dollars, and he got 20,000 votes. All right, so you spent six, thousand dollars on every vote that's a valid criticism. It should not be that expensive to run an Iowa caucus. The TV ads clearly did not work. Well, they might have worked for Trump because DeSantis and Haley spending just massive, many, many millions of dollars attacking each other. Nobody attacking Trump probably is one of the reasons why Trump, you know, his number kind of kept rising as the campaign got nastier and nastier between the undercard of Haley, DeSantis, and, and others, Tim Scott, others who ran ads earlier in the process. So, that's a valid criticism. The process has been distorted by money in a way that I think it's just not helpful. And I don't know what you what your observation is on how those ads work. That's a lot of money to kind of flush down the toilet.
0: Yeah, Look, like, I mean, you once you arrive on the ground, you're just flooded with ads as you as you'd be expected. It is striking that there's that much money spent. At the end of the day, you know, the fate of these campaigns going forward is up to a hundred thousand you know, Republican Americans, and I think there's a lot of other Republican Americans with their nose up against the glass. That kind of wonder if they could get a chance to play a, a similar role. Like as a Californian, I, I, in fact, I was interviewed by the LA times last week and I make the case why this is a bad process to begin in a state like California, because it'd only be accessible to rich people, right? They could afford mm-hmm. the money to be on the air because you can't grassroots retail politic your way through California. The advantage is, obviously, someone can come in there with little money and start to turn it around by putting in the work of all the retail politicking that you talked about. And caucus goers, it's important to note, are conditioned by tradition to look for those opportunities and seek out those candidates when they're in their communities. So I do think if you moved on from Iowa, I think you would have to then like give another similar state an opportunity to be first. And the problem, that won't solve the money issue. The money in politics is what it is. There's not going to be less of it. It's probably going to be more of it going forward, really because of the advent of grassroots fundraising. So I don't find the money, it's uncomfortable, but I don't find that as a reason to move on from Iowa. I think if you move on from Iowa, it's about putting into a rotation where we, we spread this around so you get to... A variety of states over the course of a couple decades.
1: Well, the biggest argument w- against California,
0: Rob, would be we wouldn't know the results for two weeks. <laughs> hey, hey, you ain't kidding. Hey, you, yeah. Yeah. For all the, the the Democrats that run this state that lament the claims of election fraud, it, you know, it would really help if they could count votes in a timely manner and not let those conspiracies take birth. But obviously you've touched a nerve for you at that point. Oh, hey,
1: there's something I want to bring up, though, Rob, about caucus night and how it played out this time. It's different from any other time we've seen it. And that is they called the race at seven thirty. Yeah. Talk about this. Ron DeSantis was giving his speech at Ankeny, a very large suburban precinct where had probably three or four caucuses meeting together. So he had access to hundreds and hundreds of people. He was in the middle of his remarks when the race was called by CBS and then by AP. People were getting it on their phones while he was still speaking. I mean, they hadn't voted yet. It's crazy. And I I am with the people who are angry that the media decided to do that just because they could. It is unhealthy for the process for that to happen. I get calling a race when the polls close. You can talk as a Californian about being on the West Coast. You've got voting open and they're already starting to call states back East. But this was really egregious. You're right there. You're Everybody's sitting right there hearing from all these different speakers in their caucus, and everybody already knows who won. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, a couple of thoughts on that. What? I think it was CNN, not CBS, that went first. They go first. Okay. Yeah, it was C- CNN, then AP. I got interviewed by the Des Moines Register, for a reporter down in the Marriott lobby knowing she'd find somebody, and there there we were. The kind of comment on this quickly on deadline because DeSantis dug in on this, right? It was an opportunity yeah. for him to, to attack, attack the, the liberal media for rigging results. The way, because of the caucus, I don't think it affected turnout, right? I mean, people were either in their meetings or not. but yeah, it was They had an, to be in was,
1: the room already.
0: Yeah, it was incredibly bad form. It's just disrespectful yes. of these people. You know, was, I think CNN made a real bad call in doing that. You know, We have a lot of friends there and we kind of root for CNN as an organization to increase market share, but I think they made a bad call on that Shame on AP, because once AP goes, then everybody, then everybody goes as well. Just need to be more, more respectful and not to insert themselves into the process like they did.
1: Yeah, it's not an election. It is a convention. It is a party meeting that has a dynamic in the room, and the, the media should not insert themselves into that dynamic, and in this case they did. If there's another Iowa caucus, I think there will be an effort to not report results out as quickly as they did and somehow try to prevent the media from just going with their entrance results because it's just it's bad form it's bad for democracy you know and look Desantis is right to say election interference because who knows if that might have changed some votes even if it changes one it's too many so yeah we could probably move on from that but that bugged the heck out of me
0: So real quick, I'll put you on the spot. Do you think there will be a first-in-the-nation Republican Iowa caucus in four years? I think there will be. I think there will be some
1: resistance to it. Uh, There's always a kind of a few people at the RNC will take a run at us. The problem is, for anybody who wants to replace the Iowa caucus, we have a very flexible process. We can move our date whenever we want to whenever we want. We can go in the previous year if we want to. Because it's a party meeting called by the party, there is a state statute that requires us to go first, just like in New Hampshire. So if it comes down to a fight between us and let's say Louisiana wants to go first, which they did back when I was executive director in 1996, we just move ahead of them, you know. So like, it's it's an unhealthy domino that sets off once you start doing that. But nobody's going to be more nimble and more flexible. Than the iowa republican party who will protect the interests of the caucuses so i think it'll happen but there will definitely be you know people who aren't for it and by the way if trump manages to get himself elected president and he got the highest win percentage in iowa caucus history he's not going to badmouth the caucuses so you'll have maga just fine with the iowa caucuses and so it's got to come from
0: somewhere and it won't come from trump so my guess is yes we'll go again Okay. So let's shift our focus a little bit. Our listeners have now noted, we don't have a bartender on with us today, but they will not be surprised to learn that you and I both spent a fair amount of time in bars while in Des Moines. Surprised to no one. I know it's shocking. Well, we had to take shelter somewhere from those temperatures and find football on TV, but we practice in our craft. I mean, just to remind everyone, you know, we do highball politics and interview bartenders because it's a trade craft. You go post up in a bar. Or you do the same with, with Uber or taxi drivers. I have a bit of a story on that as well. He's just kind of make friends and start talking to people. So we had a unique experience with one friend at the the Beachwood Inn in Des Moines. We found warmth and football uh-huh. and uh sure enough, engaged with our friend our friend Rupert. What'd you first think of Rupert when we he started talking to us? He might have been under the
1: influence of a couple of cocktails before we got there. He had an enhanced personality when we talked to him. But he was an interesting guy. He had a lot of opinions, and I think opinions that really sort of speak to where our politics now are headed maybe in the next couple of months once this nomination wraps up. So it was interesting. And really, he got into it with you more than he did me because I was sitting a chair away. But yeah, it was... uh,
0: Well, uh, I was melting it a little bit. Tell us where you went. Well, I was interested because he was starting to fit a profile of a voter I'm very interested in. Uh, I've recently announced I'm going to be doing some work for a super PAC to support a no-labels candidate, should they name one later in the spring. And what we're finding is there's a huge amount of anger from a majority of Americans that they could be given a Biden-Trump choice. So we start talking to Rupert, probably uh, early 40s, college-educated, entrepreneurial, single, voted for Trump, doesn't want to vote for Trump again. Probably a little Vivek curious, but at the end of the day, you know, thought he was a bit of a nut and into it for himself. Well, you know, this is guy doesn't want to vote for Joe Biden in order to save America. Uh, I, don't think he, I don't think he will. Under no, I don't think he would, but he really doesn't want to vote for Trump. So eventually, you know, I float the idea of, well, what if there was a, a third candidate that was like center-right? And he became immediately animated, as in excited. That yeah. is what I'm looking for. And it was really instructive to me to see this out in the wild, if you will, to see this type of voter it was kind of a mix of uh, libertarian on social issues, fairly conservative on economic issues, but a voter like that just feeling like he's got nothing to vote for if the choices are Biden and Trump. Yeah. No, he was animated for sure and
1: exercised, and you did lead him along a little bit. And it was interesting because as you started kind of, okay, well, what would that person look like? You kind of ended up, well, it wasn't going to be a politician, most likely. Not from Washington, at least, yeah. At least not a Washington politician. Maybe a governor. Maybe. It felt to me like it needed to be someone a little bit populist because he kind of had that feel to him. And his dad, Rupert's dad, had served in Vietnam, and had ended up going into kind of some kind of military contracting after the fact. So he was really taken with the idea of someone who could come out of the military a little right of center, but like a guy who could get shit done. And I feel like he was pointing you in a direction that said, okay, we need somebody who's outside of politics, maybe above politics, but who is a ball buster, who will get stuff done because the country's really, the country's messed up right now. I want somebody who just will take it and grab it by the lapels and shake it a little bit and kick the hell out of the Capitol and members of Congress and really change Washington. He was looking for a big change from a completely different place than, you know, than we normally see.
0: I was taken by how he felt strongly about it. I mean, this was a guy, as you said, he'd had a few. He was a little uninhibited, which was, you know, served our purposes. Right. But he was, he was losing a massive parlay during the Cowboy game. <laughs> so we were able to take his mind off of his betting losses. Where online betting is legal in Iowa, by the way. Interesting. Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. it is. Uh, but I, I was quite taken by the emotion they shared and I loved it because there we were sitting in a bar and a basically an impromptu highball pod, you know, breaks out on the scene. Right. We should have almost whipped out a
1: microphone and started doing it, but yeah, uh, it was it noisy lost, in the bar.
0: We would have lost the authenticity, right? Yeah, For sure, yeah. Like, he was. He kept saying that Hannity was going to be there the next day to talk to real Americans. I'm not sure if that was true or not, but... Uh, I don't think it was. Yeah, yeah. I don't think
1: Hannity Goes to the Beach would tap. It
0: would, it would do Hannity some, some good if he did, maybe. <laughs> hey, so one other quick one, because we talked about drivers, too. So, you know, yeah. get into Iowa after this winter hellscape. I arrived in Iowa on time and sit for two hours and 15 minutes on the tarmac waiting for enough staff to come open a gate. So I, I thought I was in my winter tomb sitting there in the plane on that tarmac, with, you know <laughs> 10 below outside, 30 degree below, wind chill, but made it in, then had to try to find a car. Well, eventually I, an Uber comes for me and it's a young man, probably about 30 years old, who is an army reservist. And whose young child, newborn, was in the hospital, but doing well and getting ready to discharge. But they'd been living their lives at the hospital. And he got away for a little while, make a little money driving, driving Uber in the middle of this winter storm. I said, Well, you're, you know, you're busy and he didn't, you know, no idea that I'm from politics. I go, what what are you gonna caucus? He goes, Oh yeah, I'm a caucus goer. I'm gonna caucus for Vivek. And he goes, I've met him a couple times, and he goes through his whole thing on how he likes Vivek, including the fact that Vivek is basically an isolationist. I mean, here's a guy that's a soldier that was casting a vote because of the anti-war position and intervention position of Vivek. I'm like, okay, this is the new the new 30-year-old army voter is, a, yeah. is an isolationist. So that was fascinating uh, to me. And it also fit the type of what we knew of who Vivek was in- connecting with to the extent that he did do something interesting is he was, I, th- I don't think he was just getting Trump voters. I think he was actually engaging Young voters like this young man who actually don't want to vote for Trump either, but we're finding something new and different in this younger candidate who had very strong feelings about these types of issues.
1: Well, almost 8% of Iowans agreed with that guy. and I was a little surprised. I expected to see Vivek down lower. Hey, let's talk for just a minute about what we think the results did to the race. I'll give you my quick rundown. Trump being over 50 was important because if he's, if he's under 50, that means over half of Iowans, which is a pretty MAGA state said no. Nikki running two points behind DeSantis might have been the worst case for both of them. If DeSantis finishes third, he could go back to Tallahassee and, (laughs) you know, resume his life. If he limps past her at 21, losing to Trump by 30 points, he's kind of obligated to stay in the race. And then Nikki loses the momentum argument that she really wanted to take her into New Hampshire. So it feels to me like the Cox's, well, for my own politics... It didn't deliver what I wanted. There was a little bit of a, you know, with DeSantis and Haley just savaging each other and kind of ending up both, you know, down around 20%, a little bit of kissing your sister. Nothing came out of it. Nobody got any momentum except Trump because, I mean, if you're going to stop him, you got to stop him somewhere. Iowa looked like a place you could. New Hampshire then looked like the place where he's more vulnerable. It's been in single digits in some of those polls. But I just don't think that a result out of Iowa that we got gave anybody what they wanted except for Trump because he's status quo. He's the incumbent. And, you know, he did what he needed to do. He was, he was not far off of missing his mark, but he hit it. That's my take. What's yours?
0: So New Hampshire is Tuesday. Yeah. I mean, you had talked about there'd be two tickets out of Iowa. Usually there's three. And I think we ended up with obviously Trump's ticket out. Two and and a half. Yeah. (laughs) Two and a half. Nikki and Ron are in this interesting space DeSantis is just heading right to South Carolina, which will be about four weeks from now. But Tuesday's New Hampshire, and this is the big opportunity for Haley. My sense is she has to beat Trump and make yeah. him bleed, or I think it is, it's just all done. I mean, I don't know where she would win again. No. Or wouldn't have a chance to win again if she doesn't win in New Hampshire. Do you agree she has to win?
1: Yeah, she has to win. Absolutely. Because yeah. it, it creates a dynamic where all of a sudden Trump looks like he's not totally inevitable. He'll make the argument, well, that's a bunch of independents and Democrats, but she can use the argument, well, yeah, but that's what we need to beat Joe Biden, and I can get him. But if she doesn't get that done, she comes up even five points short. Yeah, I think we're we're packing it up after South Carolina, he goes on and secures the nomination. There's 1,200 and some delegates chosen between, uh, gosh, March 5th and March 19th, something yeah, yeah. 21st, maybe? Uh, something like that.
0: Yeah, and, like- mathematically it should be done by then. There's some speculation out there, I think, the DeSantis Camp is putting out that he's going to scale down. He's already laying people off because he's out of money, but he's going to hang around. And there's a theory, you know, hang around. Trump's old, erratic, and in court a lot. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see if the hang around uh, strategy for Ron ends up being something that pays off or not. All right, let's let's uh, let's end up with how we always end with the on libations. You and I each have a pick of an Iowa-themed libation that we're fond of that, that we wanna share. Why don't you kick it off? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. So because
1: it was so darn cold, Rob, I gotta go with a hot cocktail, all right? So we're gonna go with the Iowa toddy, and it's gonna be all Iowa ingredients. We're going with Cedar Ridge Rye Whiskey, Yep. It's been on this podcast before. If you remember when we were interviewing Jamie Jackson, she she put Cedar Ridge into one of her cocktails from Cedar Rapids. We're going to use a brand of honey called the Local Hive Midwest Honey right out of Iowa. It's a delicious, great honey. And then we're going to turn to Jefferson, Iowa in Green County, and we're going to go with Deals Orchard Apple cider, it is absolutely fabulous, and so we're gonna do about three inches of cedar rye ridge. We're gonna do about a half a teaspoon of the local hive Midwest honey. About you know I don't know I'd say four ounces of steaming hot water, and then you're gonna throw about another tablespoon or so of apple cider in, maybe a little dash more than that if you like sweet drinks like I do. Yeah, um, and then you know dash. what, and and then let's also let's let's also sort of stick with the we just came out of the holidays. We're going to throw a cinnamon stick in there, Rob. We're going to let it steep for about five minutes, and then we're going to enjoy.
0: It sounds like you could use those in Colorado right now as well. hundred percent. We got about eight or 10 inches of new snow on the ground this morning. All right. So for mine, I want to highlight a, uh, a local Iowa beer from Exile Brewing. It's called the Ruthie Lager. So first of all, the Ruthie Lager is, is a delicious lager. I'm a bit of a lager fan. I mean, this is yeah. part of also what's fun about traveling the country is you try local beers. I think the Ruthie Lager is extraordinary. You ask, well, why is it called the Ruthie Lager? Well, it's named after an infamous bartender who's no longer with us named Ruth Bisognato, who was known, renowned in Des Moines for being able to balance pint glasses on her ample bosoms while pouring <laughs> bottles of beer into them. If you can't quite get the visual, you can uh, Google this because the label on the Ruthie is a a, a cartoon depiction of this uh, amazing feat being performed. Now, what's interesting about this though, is Ruthie passed and her husband passed away before Exile opened and started making this beer and our CNN friend, Jeff Zeleny, who's also from Iowa. uh, No, Nebraska, 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 but former Des Moines Register. Yes. Okay. There we go. Right, right. Don't want to take away his Cornhusker credentials. Never he, let you do that. He, he pointed out this label has been a dispute in the name of the beer. The estate sued the brewery, Exile, to not let them use her likeness. And it went all the way to the Iowa Supreme Court, who basically has decided they won't interview in the dispute. And so we continue to have Ruthie depicted on the label. So I guess uh, you know, at some point, maybe we should be respectful of the family's wishes. On the other hand, what a great way to promote a Des Moines bartender legend and continue to enjoy some fine brews while we uh, we hoist into her memory. Well, so Rob, for older
1: Iowans like me, who've been around a while, the Bisignano name is a very famous one. They are a South Des Moines family. It's, it's a sort of a big Italian neighborhood in South Des Moines. And Babe Bisignano, I don't think he was her husband, but he was related, had Babe's Restaurant, downtown des moines he was the most famous iowa restaurateur really starting probably in the 40s or 50s and his restaurant existed well into the 80s uh, probably closed down sometime in the 80s and it was the big political hangout for all of the des moines city pauls during caucus time as we got into the 70s and the caucuses became a thing Babe's restaurant, just a great uh, local restaurant.
0: Sounds like we're some, uh, gar- uh, waste hauling and snow uh, removal contracts got negotiated about a
1: hundred percent of yeah. them got negotiated right <laughs> there at Babe's and I don't know if Ruthie was the bartender at Babe's, but I wouldn't be surprised if she was great old Iowa story.
0: A great old Iowa story for a, gr- a great state. And, uh, I love Des Moines and I hope we r- were back there again in four years for another caucus. All right, so Cotchell, that should do it for us. Thanks for bearing with us, listeners. We will endeavor to have a bartender again next week. We're gonna probably bring you someone from New Hampshire. We'll break down what happened, the New Hampshire primary, which will be next Tuesday, and then do it through the eyes of the local. There you go, Rob. All right, you're rooting for Nikki in New Hampshire. I am too. We'll see what happens. Until next time. Cheers, Cotchell. Cheers, Rob. Highball Politics is a podcast presentation of highball media. Executive producers are David Kochel and me, Rob Stutzman. Our producer is Miranda Perrin. Please send your bartender nominations and any questions to highballpolitics at gmail.com. And find us on social media. We're at Highball Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you were
1: brave enough to make this week's signature cocktail, please remember to tag your pics of this week's with the hashtag HighballPodcast.
0: And if you want to support our show, please subscribe to Highball Politics wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a five-star review, and please share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.